so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. So John 17, the entire chapter represents the prayer of Jesus. It's uh, the, the last moment of Jesus' meal together with his disciples, the very first verse of uh, John chapter 18 says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples. And, and so then that's when he moves into this moment of, of uh, the garden of Gethsemane, of, of being uh, arrested, falsely trialed, punished and executed. Uh, and then on, obviously, to his uh, resurrection and ascension. And so this, this whole chapter is a prayer from Jesus. And uh, we just had Russell read the last part of it this morning. And that's where we're going to land uh, when we are finished this morning. Uh, but but I, w- I just want to touch on this whole uh, chapter a little bit. Um, but, but first, I want to think about prayer. And so uh, what I want to start with this morning is the idea that what we pray about demonstrates or, or gives insight into what's important to us. What we pray about is a reflection of what's important to us. And, and so, you know, it's a bit cliche to say, but if we're at, um, you can probably get parks easily at the shopping centres at the moment, would you be allowed to go there for some special reason uh, that you have some essential item to buy? But, but in a normal season when the, 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 the shopping centres are busy, uh, you might be driving around and, and what's important to you in that moment might be finding a car space and so you will pray in that moment, some of us, dear God, I really would like a car space. That what, we, what we release to God in prayer is an is a insight into what's important to us. And I think that's especially true for, for us of our, of our private prayers. What we pray to God in private, what only God hears us say, is an insight into what's important for us. What we value. What our hopes are, what our fears are what our desires are, what our dreams are. This is an insight into, into what is at the, the heart of us as people if we could eavesdrop on people's prayers. And, and so John 17 is Jesus' prayer. And so we get, thank, thankfully, to, thankfully to John, who was there, we vicariously get to listen in on Jesus' prayer. We get to hear What's important to Jesus in this prayer? Because this prayer reveals Jesus in a world in this moment. At, at this end point of Jesus' life, when he, we're told elsewhere that, that though he wanted to do the Father's will, that there was this moment of great kind of trembling in spirit. And the, and the other Gospels tell us that, that as, as Jesus prayed, he says, Father, your will be done, not mine. But he, but he says, if there's any other way, that we could achieve the salvation of the world, free me from this. And so this is a, a deep and intimate moment for Jesus and, and, and this is what we get to listen into. We get to hear his hopes and his fears. We get to hear his dreams, if, if fears is an appropriate word to use in the context of Jesus. Maybe his concerns is a better way, but we get to hear his hopes and his fears or concerns, his, his dreams, what he, what he values. We get to hear what Jesus' heart desires for his people and this world now that he's returning to the Father. And it's a very rich prayer. It's filled with gold to be discovered. It's, it's worth lingering in. 
And so I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to preach on this this morning for about another 20 minutes, but, but I'm going to encourage you that there's so much more here than we can tap into in 20 minutes. And so I want to encourage you to take this week to linger in John 17, to dwell in Jesus' prayer, to pray Jesus' prayer, to soak in Jesus' prayer for the week to come. And so in that light, that, that it's so rich, we, we possibly couldn't you know, cover every aspect of this morning. I do want to pull out a few things. Uh, and I want to focus in on that, that idea that what Jesus prays reveals what's important to Jesus. Jesus begins by praying right back at the start of John 17, what wasn't read this morning, in verse 1 to 5, for himself. It says in verse 1 to 5 that Jesus looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that's himself, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given, you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth, finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world begins. began. And so Jesus prays for himself, like we often do, but so unlike what we often do. He, he starts his prayer with the hour has come. And so all throughout John's Gospel, we're told by Jesus, the hour has not yet come. And in John's Gospel, this moment, the hour refers to his being lifted up on the cross. And throughout John's Gospel, this, this is true as well of, of his glory. That, that, that glory is paradoxically a reference to being clothed in splendor. That's what the word literally means. But it's also a reference to his glory in saving the world on the cross. And so this is not a selfish prayer for Jesus. Those two things come together, the glory of God, the glory of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus on the cross. They come together on the cross as the pathway of Jesus' return to the glory of heaven is to save the world on the cross and conquer death in his resurrection. This prayer shows us what Jesus gave up simply in becoming human. We focus our attention on the cross, but, but I think there's so much of what Jesus sacrificed merely in, in being incarnate, in, in becoming human. Jesus prays for a return to that, that glory he had in the beginning. In, verse, uh, in Philippians, we, we see a bit of this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Uh, it says uh, of Jesus being in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Literally in Greek, that's he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And so Jesus prays for glory for himself and for God. But this is not a selfish prayer. This is not like you or I saying, Lord, make me famous. Give me glory. Because in, in his glory, he's creating a way for eternal life for all of us. In his glory, he's returning to his rightful place, his rightful splendor, after he sacrificed it all 
on our behalf for his glory. His, his glory is ultimately glorifying the Father. Glorify your son, he says, that you might glorify, that I might glorify you. He prays that God's glory would be revealed to all creation in what he goes to do on the cross. And so Jesus begins his prayer by praying for for his glory as God and for the glory of God the Father. And so this shows us that, that Jesus cares about the glory of God. That, that at the heart of Jesus, in, in what he goes to do on the cross in the resurrection and in the ascension and, and what he leaves behind is a prayer that God's name would be glorified. And he, of course, is included in that being in very nature God. And so, so how do we respond to this as, as followers of Jesus? Well, we want to honour his glory. We want to worship him. It reminds us that, you know, as Jesus goes on to talk a bit more about some doing of faith, some living out our faith in this world, it reminds us that that the beginning point, the end point for Jesus is glory and glory. That at the heart of it, we are worshippers. That we are called to worship him, not just serve him in actions which of course is part of our worship together. And so Jesus prayed for himself and then in the next section, Jesus prayed for his disciples. Jesus' prayer turns from the glory of God to his disciples and and so he'd promised them the Holy Spirit. He he told them that he was leaving uh, to return to the Father And, and so now he prays to the Father for their faithfulness, for their unity, for their protection and for their sanctification. And so though, though we are not those disciples that were in the room, this is in a sense of vicariously a prayer for us as those who would follow them. But, but it shows what Jesus' heart is for his disciples. And so I believe that his heart is the same for us. In, in verse 11, Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, I will remain in the world no longer but they are still in the world. He's saying he's returning to the Father, but his disciples are staying in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And so Jesus' first prayer is, in a sense, for protection. And the NIV says, protect them by the power of your name. More literally, we could read that in the original language of Greek as keep them in your name. This is a prayer that God would protect them from falling away from faithfulness to the name of God. And and so it's, it's not so much a prayer for physical protection. It's a prayer that their faith, that their fidelity, their faithfulness to the name of God, to Yahweh, would be protected and preserved. And that's important to grasp that that is what Jesus values. If this is about what's important to Jesus, he values our faithfulness to the name of God over our physical protection. It's not that he doesn't care about that, but when we think about the first uh, disciples, if this was a prayer just for physical protection, then it went largely unanswered. Because all of these disciples suffered 
and were persecuted and most were ultimately martyred for their faith. And so this was a prayer for physical protection that went largely unanswered. But, but it was more so, as I've said, a prayer that their faith would be protected in the midst of that. That in this world that Jesus said they would have trouble, that, that their faith would be protected, that they would be kept in the name of God. And so when we look at it in that light, this prayer was largely answered for these first disciples, except for uh, Judas, who um, Jesus talks about in this prayer. And so their faith was protected through the storm of persecution and martyrdom. And that was what was important to Jesus. It's also a prayer for unity. That as they're protected in the name of Jesus, that they would be kept as one in him. And so this shows us that Jesus cares about this. Jesus cares about the faithfulness and the unity of his disciples. In verse 14 and 16, jumping down a bit. Jesus says, I have given them your word. He's given the disciples the word of the Father, the gospel, the good news. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And so Jesus is saying here that, that once we embrace God's word, that it transforms not just our relationship to God, but with the world. That, that once we put our trust in God's word, the good news about Jesus Christ, that, then we are no longer really a part belonging to this world. And so this is the context in which Jesus prays in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And so Jesus does pray for protection for their faith, and he does pray for protection against the works of the evil one, Satan. He does pray that the Father would guard them against spiritual attack. He does pray that whilst they are in the world, that the prince of this world, as Jesus referred to the enemy in John chapter 16, would not be able to overcome them. And so as we think of ourselves as followers of Jesus in the line of these disciples... It's valuable for us to remember that Jesus prays and we're told that he still sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us for the protection of us against the works of the enemy. It's important for us to remember that though we're in this world, that our, that our belonging is not to it. In verse 17 and 18, Jesus continued his prayer and he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Of, by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for, I, for, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And so Jesus prays for sanctification, which is a, kind of a, a word that means literally to make holy. The Bible tells us that God alone is holy, that he is sacred, that he is different, that he is other to all of creation. And then it speaks of those things, those people that belong to him as being, in light of his holiness, holy. 
And so in the Old Testament, we had things that belonged to the temple that were, were holy things. They were, they were set apart for God. There were people, there were anointed priests in the Old Testament who were, who were holy or anointed to be holy and set apart from, for God. And so now Jesus prays that his followers would be made holy. Not that we become fully like God in his holiness, but that we belong to him, that we are set apart. For him. And so sanctification is intimately connected to purpose and mission. Jesus prays that he has, says that he has sent them into the world as the Father sent him into the world. And, and so our sanctification, our, our being made holy, our being set apart is for a purpose. Just as the, the priests were sanctified, made holy to act as priests over Israel, we, we are sanctified, set apart to to be on those that are continuing the mission of Jesus in this world. We have this moral sense when we think about holiness. We think about holy behavior. And so in our modern conception of holiness, we kind of think about, well, I need to act holy to be holy. But in the way that Jesus speaks about it here, we've got that upside down. It's our being made holy, being set apart by God that transforms our behavior that changes our, our moral relationship with the world. And so Jesus cares about our holiness, about our being set apart for the Father. And, and so when we think about what Jesus prayed for the disciples, it, it gives us this insight into what's valuable to him. He values that his disciples be kept, be protected in their faith, that they be holy and set apart for mission and that they be protected from the enemy. And so all of this is what, what Jesus prayed for those disciples in the room and it shows us what, what Jesus values for us as well. But then Jesus prayed especially for you. He says in verse 20, the, the first verse that we're, we're finally here now that Russell read for us in verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so if you're here this morning, here being a metaphorical here, not just Hannah and Carl, if you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus because of, because of this, the, the power of his word, the testimony that these first disciples have given us, their message, then, then this prayer of Jesus is specifically for you and I. And I just want to pause on that moment and think about how profound that is that, that Jesus prayed for us. That he looked through time and space to pray for us. That in this moment where he's, he's about to be thrust into the trial for which he came, the pain and suffering for which he came, Jesus pauses for a moment, not just to pray for what's around him, but to look through time and space and pray for you and I. This is such a, a tangible manifestation of his love and concern for us. It blows me away. And so what's the focus of this prayer? Jesus repeats some of what he's already prayed for, for his disciples in general. What's the focus of this prayer? For us, for, for the church, for the believers that would come after this first group of disciples? 
well, in verse 21 and 23, he says, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and, and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you are loved. Sorry, even as you have loved me. And so the focus of Jesus' prayer, his specific prayer for you and I, for, for, for the church today, the church throughout history following on from these first disciples, is unity. I believe his prayer for protection and, and, and all of that carries on to us and I believe he's still interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. But, but when he focused through time and space to you and I, his prayer was for unity, that the church would be one as he and the Father are one. This is a profound concept of unity. We're told in the very beginning of John's Gospel that, that the Word, that's speaking of Jesus, the Word was God in the beginning and was with God in the beginning. That, that Jesus is at the same time distinct from the Father, but at the, that very same time one with the Father. We're told throughout the Gospels that the actions and words of Jesus are those of the Father. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what uh, I see the, hear the Father saying. But when we're told that God created the earth, we're told that, that it was through Jesus through which he created, that, that the actions of the Father are also the actions of Jesus. That they are so intimately one, yet distinct as persons, that it gives us this kind of mathematically impossible idea when we include the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that three are one and one are three. And so this is what Jesus prays for the church, that there would be unity in the church, not that we lose our distinction, our, our personhood, but that there would be one body. That we are each fully and wholly a body, but that we are at the same time one body together. It's this mathematically impossible unity that Jesus prays the church would have. It's a, it's a kind of unity that, that doesn't make sense. He's, he prays in verse 23 to read it again, I am them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That, that Greek word means perfect unity, fullness. Perfect unity. And so that is the goal that Jesus prays for you and I. Not mere tolerance in the church, not mere passive, aggressive peace, not avoidance of conflict, this kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of just you know, agree to share the same space together. He prays that we would have a supernatural unity, a compelling unity, an attractive unity. He prays that, that as he reveals his glory to us, that our unity would reveal his glory to the world. And so here's the thing. When we do well by the power of the Holy Spirit, the unity of the church leads the world towards believing that the Father sent Jesus. We might do all of our, our gospel proclamation, which we should, our mission, our, our serving others, our caring for others, but, but Jesus says that it's our unity 
our oneness, our supernatural being one together that says to the world in a way that they'll believe that Jesus was sent by the Father to save them. He says it's the unity of the church that leads the world to see and to know God's love at work in us. And so, yes, it's important. Jesus says uh, in Mark's gospel at the end of it, his last words to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. Yes, we should do that. But we should not neglect at the same time that Jesus' heart revealed in this prayer for you and I is that we would be united together as one in the name of Jesus. Because if we're not that, then it undermines everything else. This is what was important to Jesus when he prayed for those believers that were to come. Perfect unity. I love that that's the goal. I love that that what Jesus prays for is perfect unity because it's something that ultimately we never will be in this world. That, That nothing in this life will be perfect until Jesus comes again. And, and, and I love that goal, not because, it's, you know, not because we should embrace a defeatist attitude towards it, not that we should go, well, it's, it's impossible, so don't bother. It, I love that there's always space to grow more into what Jesus' heart is for us. That, in a sense, the fact that it's never obtained is, it means that it's something that we can always be moving towards. We can always grow more into it. We can always be transformed from one glory to another glory, conforming to the desires of Jesus that we might represent his glory. To borrow a phrase from the Apostle Paul, and say, not that we've already obtained all this. Not that we've reached a place where we could say of YCBC, we have attained perfect unity. But we press on towards it. Not that the churches of the Yass Valley have yet obtained perfect unity, but but Jesus in his prayer demonstrates that it's so valuable and important to him and so we press on towards it. Not that the global church has attained anything, perhaps that looks anything like perfect unity, but it's important to Jesus and so we press on towards it. And so I think this is not a, not a perfect sermon by any means, but a perfect word for us in this season from Jesus. Because it's a season where the potential is to be ripped apart, to be scattered because we can't be together by health, public health orders. And so I think it's a season for us to devote extra effort to be the answer to Jesus' prayer. Not that we do it in our own strength or might. We, 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 we work with the power of the Holy Spirit because it's a supernatural unity. But I want to encourage us as a church this morning to not allow the separation of, of you know, stay-at-home orders to make us less united, but to pour extra effort into the space of being more united, of being more that picture of unity that Jesus prayed for.
And so as we finish up this morning, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and enable us to press on towards that goal. As we're reminded that Jesus has prayed for our protection, that Jesus prays that we would be kept in the faith. That Jesus prayed for our unity, for our sanctification. I want to pray this morning that we've been able to press on towards it. But as I do that, I want to, I want to read one final verse out of what Russell read for us this morning. Just as a reminder in this season of what awaits for us. In verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So I just want to remind us this morning that our destiny is to dwell in the completely manifest, unveiled glory of God. As, As we persevere through this season that we fix our eyes on that destiny and not worry as much about the day to day trials and troubles but let us pray Heavenly Father we basically this morning want to say Amen to the prayer of Jesus We pray for Yas Community Baptist Church. We pray for the churches of the Yas Valley. We pray for the Australian church. We pray for the global church. That all of us will be one as you, Father, are one with your Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray that we be in you together that because of our unity the world would believe that you sent Jesus Father I pray that you would bring us into and towards perfect unity Holy Spirit work within us I pray we confess that it in our fallen humanness. We are so tempted to want to go our own way, plot our own path, be an island unto ourselves. And so we pray that you would transform us, Holy Spirit. That you would make us one body that would bring glory to the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.